Hello, and thank you for joining us. Today's webinar is Laser Ablation 201, Applications of Laser Ablation and Data Reduction Strategies. Our presenter is Dr. Ciprian Strempton, Global Product Specialist, Laser Ablation. We will be taking questions, so feel free to submit your questions throughout the presentation using the question feature, and we will address them at the end. Also, this webinar is being recorded and will be available for viewing within a couple of days. You will receive an email notification of its availability. Okay, I will turn it over to our presenter, Dr. Ciprian Strempton. Hello, everyone. And thank you all for joining us today for the third webinar of Teledyne's laser ablation series. The webinar is titled uh, The Applications of Laser Ablation and Data Reduction Strategies. I want to thank everyone for joining and especially for those who are logging in early in the morning their time or late in the evening and uh, I'll try and keep it as short as possible so um, you can either get back to finishing your coffee or uh, wrapping up for the day. Now my name is Ciprian Schwenten and I'm Global Product Specialist for the laser ablation products at uh, Teledyne Photon Machines. My background is in mineralogy uh, and geochemistry, or geology rather, and uh, with a PhD in, um, in geochemistry. I've been lucky enough to work with lasers and laser ablations for more than 12 years now. And to be honest, um, I'm really, really happy that I had this great opportunity to work with teams from various fields of research, anywhere from uh, earth sciences, you know, with that being my background, to archaeology, archaeometry, material sciences, life sciences, and so on and so forth. And throughout those 12 years, um, it was always um, amazing to me, and, and still is to be honest, to see how a technique which was initially developed, you know, for geochemists and earth sciences in general, um, made its way into so many fields of, um, of, of, of research. Now, Hopefully, um, most of you have already seen parts one and two of the webinar series uh, presented by my colleagues, Lucas Smith um, and Damon Green. Lucas is our director for business development uh, for the Americas, whereas Damon is the VP of technology. Um, or if you haven't, I strongly recommend, you know, taking a couple of uh, minutes, um, maybe today, tomorrow, um, and, um, and and watch them. They're available on our website and also on um, on YouTube. And hopefully, if you haven't seen those uh, webinars, uh, you are already kind of familiar with some of the key concepts presented by both Lucas and Damon. And I'm talking about you know um, uh, the choice of wavelengths in laser ablation, uh, the pulse width, you know the um, the ongoing world between nanosecond lasers, femtosecond lasers, and so on and so forth, the choice of carrier gas, the washout speeds, and so on and so forth. So I will not dwell too much on them, uh, but what I would rather do is focus on how they impact um, uh, the applications and the data reduction side of things. Now, the structure of today's webinar is pretty straightforward, and um, we'll just start with a few general remarks uh, regarding the most common applications for laser ablation ICPMS, as well as analytical strategies. And then we'll dive right into uh, fast elemental imaging. Now, fast elemental imaging or elemental imaging in general 
is um, quickly becoming uh, more and more popular. Um, and not only in earth sciences, uh, but um, in, 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 in medical sciences, biological sciences, and, and so on and so forth. And by um, looking at the fundamentals of imaging and the application in, in general, I'll show you how to use Photon Machine's HTP software um, to design the imaging experiments. So start from scratch, basically, and then generate the image, and then work with um, with the data sets once once that data uh, uh, is um, is acquired. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, laser ablation was initially developed for earth scientists. Uh, and thusly, people were looking mostly at bulk analysis back in the day, so major, minor trace elements. Uh, but since uh, you know the analytical technology has developed dramatically the last you know uh, tens of years, isotope ratio, um, uh, mass spectrometer, both uh, stabilized isotopes and radiogenic isotopes, and temporal introduction for those techniques via laser ablation has also become ubiquitous. Now, it's not uncommon to find laser ablation instruments in labs anywhere from earth sciences to forensic labs, archaeology, archaeometry, and everything that has to do with quality control. Uh, pharmaceutical industry, metals, alloys, material sciences, um, but also, and increasingly more so, I, I would say, in biological labs and in medical research facilities. And pretty much, anything else that has to do with the analysis of solid samples. Now, laser ablation has been around for a while now, so it's a fairly mature technique. Um, so let's see what options are there when designing an experiment irrespective of the area of research, and how designing that experiment um, dictates or the, the um, um, the mindset behind it dictates some of the acquisition parameters both on the laser side and on the ICP side because that's that's actually very important. Um, each application um, requires a certain analytical approach and one of the biggest advantages of laser ablation ICPMS techniques is their spatial resolution. In other words, with the same system, you can do, you know, one micron spot size single single spot analysis, but you can also do, you know, 200 microns uh, uh, line scans and so on and so forth. Um, if you think about it, this technique allows you to run multi-dimensional spatial analysis, so from single spots to the analysis of, um, of volume, so basically 3D reconstructions of solid samples which is pretty neat and uh, hopefully we'll have some time um, um, to show you some of those examples as well. Now initially laser ablation or when it was initially designed and the first instruments they were used mostly for single spot analysis and single spot analysis still is the typical analysis in laser ablation ICPMS labs. Um, if you think about it, when the, when the technique was, was designed and invented, um, it was a huge step forward from, you know, 
people digesting whole rock powders or mineral separates. So techniques which are really time and resource consuming. And in this case, single spot analysis saved a lot of time, saved a lot of, of, um, um, of resources and so on and so forth, but not only um, uh, um, uh, single spot analysis. Now, line scans are another um, tool used in, um, uh, in laser ablation ICPMS in terms of generating the signal. Um, and they're actually very versatile tools because you can use them for bulk analysis. You can, um, you can like, like you've seen on the left-hand side in the, in the video, you can raster an area. So you're collecting more, um, more sample. So we're in increasing the, uh, the sample yield to the, to the ICP's plasma. But if you think about it, when you stack those lines, you're creating actually an area. And this is where things start to be really, really important and interesting, especially from um, uh, an imaging point of view. Because like I mentioned, you can generate profiles along surfaces. And then when you stack those, uh, um, uh, those profiles uh, vertically, you can get 3D reconstructions. So you're basically generating layers after layers and then putting everything together into a volume. Now, the reason why I'm showing this image on the right-hand side, and for those of you who've seen um, uh, the previous webinars, you, you're probably familiar with it. So this is um, a garnet that we've analyzed using the time of flight ICPMS from Tofberg and one of our lasers. So the idea behind it was um, to compare this imaging technique with a more um, uh, seasoned, so to speak, uh, uh, imaging technique, which was microprobe analysis. So we wanted to look at resolution and we wanted to look at acquisition time. So the same sample was analyzed using a microprobe and then um, the coating was removed and we, we ablated that uh, and measured the distribution of certain elements. And the huge advantage of this technique, aside from the spatial resolution, is that it took only 48 minutes to generate these maps. Whereas with the microprobe, it took us, I can't remember exactly, it was anywhere between 12 and 14 hours. So you gain a lot, a lot of speed and you, you know, the sample throughput increases dramatically when you're using laser ablation ICPMS. Now, I mentioned imaging, right? And a couple of um, um, examples in the previous slide. So why is imaging so important and why is it getting more and more traction in the research world? Well, to be honest, and if you ask any physician, they will tell you that the human eye is trained, so to speak, to recognize patterns. If you think about it, what's easier for you to understand? The image on the right-hand side or the, the numbers, the, um, the matrix on the left-hand side? Essentially, the data is exactly the same, just the way in which it, it is represented is different. So what we're seeing on the right-hand side is um, uh, the distribution of uranium in a zircon uh, from the Eastern Carpathians of Romania. 
um, the image was generated on a quad, so the, the data was acquired on a quadruple ICPMS instrument, and the image was generated using HDIP. On the left-hand side, we have the numerical data for this for the same analysis, or a chunk of it, it's not all of it. And that is to say, the numerical values for the uranium signal for each individual pixel comprising the image on the right-hand side. So which is easier to understand? For me, the one on the right-hand side makes more sense because I can easily spot differences. I can see growth zones, I can see patterns, and I can you know, get a rough idea of what went, what, what happened with that, with that particular sample. Whereas on the left-hand side, is not as evident. Of course, you can uh, you can use uh, software to get a, a rough idea about uh, what those numbers mean, but um, it's not as evident as the image on the right-hand side. So, what's the process for getting to this image? So, how do we get there? What, what are the stages that uh, you know a user needs to go through? The steps, rather, to go from a sample, so a couple of mineral mounds or a tissue or something uh, um, that's you know planning on analyzing. Uh, so the, the, the user is planning on analyzing them. Um, how to get from that to the image on the right hand side, and what's the um, what's the approach? What's the mindset, so to speak? Well, it all starts with the fundamentals, really. Um, and when I'm talking about fundamentals, I'm talking about understanding how the acquisition parameters, both on the laser side and on the ICP side, interact with each other and how they impact the quality of the final data. Now, a lot of work has been done over the years, and especially in the last, I would say, five to 10 years, looking at the fundamental concepts of imaging. And what you see on the screen right now is by no means a comprehensive selection of scientific papers dealing with imaging. And you have pretty much a little bit of everything from hardware developments uh, to software developments um, to understanding the math uh, that governs uh, modeling the, uh, the imaging parameters and so on and so forth. Now, keep in mind though that having a capable hardware like I don't know, um, fast aerosol transport devices or fast washout cell, um, high repetition rate lasers, um, you know, devices that, or lasers rather, that can um, ablate spots more than one micron, does not always translate into having good quality data. It's not just pushing a button on the left-hand side and getting, you know, a pristine image on the right-hand side. We're not there yet but we're, we're getting there. So, but you know, definitely having capable hardware helps because it makes everything easier when you're designing an experiment. Now, understanding the acquisition parameters um, for an experiment, for an imaging experiment rather, and knowing what to choose to get the best resolution, you know, the best signal to noise ratio, reduce the number of, of artifacts if possible for a particular sample being a mineral or a, a tissue and so on and so forth. It's actually critical. And especially for people or labs um, working with valuable samples, samples that require um, non-trivial sample preparation techniques. 
that it's even more important. And I think here is where HDIP, so the Teledyne's um, uh, software for doing data reduction, but I'll show you it's not only for data reduction. Um, uh, here's where this software um, uh, comes into play. Now, for those of you who don't know, HDIP was developed at University of Ghent in Belgium um, by Dr. Steen van Molderen uh, and, Frank, and Dr. Frank van Hakes group. HDIP really started as a PhD project, but evolved quite nicely into a complete, really complex and extremely useful piece of software. And the nice part of it is that it, it, it is continuously evolving, which with each new version, you have uh, more and more features added. Uh, and even uh, I did say that we're not there yet when we're talking about pushing a button on the left-hand side to get the sample and then to blade the sample rather and then getting the numbers on the other side. Um, we're actually getting close to, um, uh, to be there. Now, I would definitely not have enough time to go through all the features available in HDIP. Uh, so I strongly recommend getting in touch with us if you have any questions or if you think that uh, you or your lab or your application of interest will benefit from having a more in-depth discussion about HDIP's capabilities. And towards the end of the slide, I'll provide you with email addresses and so on and so forth uh, for doing that. Before getting there, though, in the following slides, I will show you a couple of screen captures, um, a couple of videos rather, showing some of the basic functionalities in HDIP related to imaging applications. And when I'm talking about basic functionalities, I'm talking about, um, for instance, calculating the peak statistics so that you know, uh, or the, uh, the single pulse response of the system so that you know uh, or have a really good understanding of the washout or the speed of your system. Also, I'll show you how to model the imaging parameters so that you increase the quality of the data. So you know exactly what parameters to use, both on the laser and, and on the ICP side, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to minimize uh, the downtime. And also I'll show you how to generate the actual images based on the ICP data, the raw data from the ICP, and the log file, the spatial data from the laser ablation system. Uh, hopefully, if we'll have the time, I'll also show you some basic operations with the image data. I'll show you how to manipulate the data, how to change colors, and so on and so forth. Okay, so um, one of HDIP's key features is the ability to describe the performance of the system. And oh, it didn't start. There you go. Um, so the so-called single pulse response. And that's actually very important because the single pulse response is one of the pillars for modeling the acquisition parameters. And what you see here on the screen, on the screen is the main interface of HDIP. And we've loaded um, a data file. Uh, we've ablated, uh, I can't remember exactly what, a natural sample. So it's inherently uh, heterogeneous, but it's a, it was really nice polished. And um, we were looking at calculating the washout time. So we ablated a couple of, of, of shots, um, I think about a hundred and something shots, and then loaded that data into HDIP. And what we'll do now is um, uh, we'll check the signal processing capabilities. 
Now, when you are trying to get the peak statistics and try to calculate the washout, HAP offers you a ton of parameters for peak detection and for filtering the signal before running the peak detection algorithm and, and so on and so forth. HAP is really good at automating things. And it's also really, really good in allowing users to tinker with every single parameter that can be um, uh, adjusted. So what, I'm, what, what I'll show you now is just an automated procedure for calculating or getting the peak statistics to calculate the single pulse response of your system. So here on the left-hand side, um, we'll have the parameters for the peak detection algorithm, um, some of the parameters for filtering the signal, and then the numbers, the peak statistics on the right-hand side. Once you're happy with that, and if you feel that uh, you need to, um, uh, to fiddle with those a little bit more, then the peak statistic tab actually runs um, the algorithm and gives you the numbers. And what you can do here is uh, decide um, the width of the peak that you're looking at, 10%, you know, 1%, and so on and so forth. And in the background, the software will do the calculation for you. And you can see it actually, it takes each individual peak and runs um, uh, the algorithm on it. And then when everything's finished, you'll get the numbers um, uh, plotted on the right-hand side together with the peak profile uh, for your data set. And this is actually quite important because you can actually export this data as a CSV file, or you can store it and use it later for uh, for running the optimization algorithm. And this is basically what I'll show you in the next slide. Once the import parameters are saved, um, either as an external file, like I said, a CSV, or uh, you can even write them in your logbook, uh, netbook or, 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 or anything, or save them as part of your experiment file, the next step in designing the experiment would be to model the acquisition parameters. And for that, HTAP requires a couple of um, uh, a couple of data sets, actually only one data set, and that is one line ablated on your material of interest. Now, it doesn't require any spatial data from the laser for this particular type of um, um, of analysis. So what you need to do is ablate a line, load that data into HTAP, and then it will run the um, optimization uh, um, algorithm for you. It's actually a two-step process, and I'll walk you through it. Initially, when you first install HTAP, it will ask you a couple of the, the, the hardware parameters or the parameters of the hardware that you have in your lab, both on the laser side, so the maximum, the minimum repetition rate, the scanning speed, and so on and so forth, and also the uh, some of the parameters on the ICP side, the dwell time, and so on and so forth. Once you have that, the next step would be to train the algorithm or um, select rather a blank region and one of your sample. And then based on the parameters that you choose to be optimized for the, um, for the image, be it uh, you know, a certain signal to noise ratio or spatial resolution, um, it will do these calculations in, in the background. 
So like I said, the first step for now is to select a region for the blank signal and then a region for uh, the sample itself. And um, you will see that it, it, it's actually pretty straightforward because when you're selecting the blank or the sample, it automatically drops, um, drops a shaded area, so to speak, on your signal or on your data rather. And then you can manually drag and drop it and extend it, shrink it, um, so that you cover as much blank or as much sample um, as needed for the experiment. And you can see in the um, um, in the video, it's it's pretty straightforward to use. Uh, you just need to um, drag it, um, select the width or the time slice rather, <clears throat> and and once you're happy with your selection. We just um, click on um, uh, select the region either for the, the blank or for the sample. Once you're done with that, you're going to go to the next step, which is the acquisition settings. So basically, HJP is asking you, okay, now tell me what, what parameters you used for acquiring that particular data. And that's the dwell time for each individual uh, uh, masses that you've analyzed. Um, the overlay, not, not the overlay, sorry, the overlap, so the dosage basically. Um, it also needs the parameter that we just calculated in the previous step, so the, um, the single pulse response, um, and also the repetition rate at which the laser fired. And once you're happy with all that, once you're happy with the dwell time and the parameters, we just click on calculate and the laser will calculate, I'm sorry, the, the, the software will calculate the, the optimized parameters, both the dwell times and so on on the ACP side, as well as um, the scanning speed and uh, the spot size to meet the criteria that you initially uh, input. In, in, in this particular case, a signal to noise ratio of more than 10. Now, I actually made a mistake when I ran those samples because the wash, well, not a mistake per se, but the washout was, uh, was really fast. So it was about um, uh, three milliseconds, actually slightly faster than that. In which case, to maximize the signal to noise ratio, the laser will need to go faster than the maximum repetition rate of the laser that, was, um, that, um, that the laser ablation was equip equipped with. In other words, so you can see see here, I, uh, HTP gave me a warning message saying that, you know, you might actually be, you'll need to go too far, uh, a little bit faster in order to, um, uh, to get the, the, the results that you want. But you can go back and rerun those, um, those analysis and correct for any mistakes that you've made. And once you're happy with the results on the right-hand side, it actually gives you an image preview of how um, the data will look like on a resolution target. So it gives you a rough idea if you're gonna get any signal noise or aliasing or, or things like that. So pretty straightforward to use and it will definitely let you know if you're making any mistakes because you'll have all sorts of warning messages popping up um, uh, throughout your, your, um, your, um, your modeling procedure or optimization procedure. Now, we have all the data we need in terms of optimizing and you know, knowing what parameters to use. 
let's assume we ran the experiment and we have the data from the ICP and from the laser. So the next step will basically be constructing the image. Now, in order to construct an image, you'll need to generate a project file. And HTTP uses HTF5 or H5 files, which are really good for storing large amounts of data, but also for storing um, different types of data within the same container. Once a, a project file is, is, um, is saved, the next step would be uh, to choose the technique, select the data, and you're good to go. Now, by default, HTTP assumes that you want to do laser ablation work. So the technique, uh, the, the default technique will be laser ablation ICPNS. Then the next step would be to select the data that you want to use for your image reconstruction. Now, HTTP comes with um, a pretty comprehensive libraries of um, data formats from all the major manufacturers for, for ICPMS instruments. And it also comes with a really powerful algorithm for automatically recognizing the type of data that you're using. So, in other words, when you're loading a data, you can either select the type of instrument that you've used from the drop-down menu or just uh, set it to um, auto and um, the algorithm will look at um, the metadata and the syntax and decide uh, what import procedure to use. And it's the same for the time unit and the signal unit. You can either manually select it or based on the data that you're loading, um, it will do that automatically. Now, depending on how you've designed the experiment, either if you have it as your imaging experiment, everything saved as one file or each individual line saved as a different file within a folder, HAP can load that, so either a single file or a, a, an entire folder. For this particular experiment, we've saved everything as, um, um, as one single file. So when you're importing the data from the ICPMS, immediately you'll see the, um, uh, the selection of mass channels that you've analyzed or monitored rather, and you can select all of them, um, none of them, a handful of them, depending on what you want to do with the data. It also imports and calculates all the, all the important data, uh, the acquisition parameters from the ICP. You can still edit those. You can still edit the dwell times uh, manually. And that's actually quite important to have the exact dwell times because that um, will, um, will impact the image reconstruction um, uh, quality afterwards. When you're happy with the selection, the next step would be to import the, the laser log file. And it's um, the way in which the laser log file is designed and the way in which HTTP is designed to look at the laser log file allows it to automatically recognize sample types. In other words, um, if you ablate a NIST glass, for example, like in this case, a 612, and you name it a NIST, you know, 612, 610, whatever, in your scan list, HTTP will recognize it as being um, a standard standard reference material and because it comes with a good chunk of the GRM database built into it, it will automatically recognize it and um, it will um, link it to the database. So you see that it automatically said, well, this is a NIST 612. I'm going to use the GRM database because that name popped up in the GRM database that I, that I have uh, with me and then the reference values for that particular uh, standard. Now, 
keep in mind that because HTTP can run really complex um, procedures for generating images and working with ICP data, you have a number of options or a number of sample types available. Calibration standards like, the, um, you know, like this particular NIST, you have primary, secondary standards, you have sensitivity drift, uh, quality control uh, samples, you have interference standards, you can even load uh, background, so um, uh, blank files basically, and it allows you to import procedural blanks, which is a huge advantage for some applications. And it's also worth noting that even though HTTP comes with, like I said, a good chunk of the GRM database built into it, you can still build your own as a user, you can still build your own uh, database for standard reference materials. Let's say you have, you work in a lab and you're using, <coughs> excuse me, uh, a number of, of um, in-house standards which are not available on GeoRAM, you can generate your own database for those standards and use them in your analysis. And uh, HAP comes with a really neat tool for generating and working with databases for, um, uh, for standard reference materials. So we pretty much have all the data we need now to generate an image. So we have the ICP data, we have a rough idea on the acquisition parameters, and we have the spatial data from the laser. So now we have two options to generate the image. We can either use um, an autopilot function like a processing pipeline, which is um, uh, works on a um, build your own kind of a thing, or, and it's automated, or you can do everything step by step and control each individual um, uh, part of the process. And I'll show you the latter. So I'll show you how HTIP takes into account some of the issues that crop out from you know, not having the ICP synchronized or the, 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 the clock synchronized with the laser PC and so on and so forth. But keep in mind that the same procedures are running in the background when you're doing the autopilot. Okay, so the first step, once you've loaded the data, is to make sure that there's no offset or no time shift between the data from the ICP and the data from the, um, uh, from the laser side. Now, there's a bunch of ways for doing that, either manually or um, automatically. Um, because having completely synchronized data is so important, especially when you're doing high-resolution work, HTIP allows the user to control the time offset or adjust for the time offset um, uh, really, really fine. So you can do fine adjustment and, and, and rough adjustment either manually or it does have a powerful set of algorithms which um, can account and compensate for, um, for those um, uh, differences in or, in, 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 or that um, time offset. And also for systems, for lasers who are capable of doing bidirectional uh, ablation. So you're ablating one line left, right, and the following line right, left, and so on and so forth. It can also correct for that. So it does have a bidirectional shift correction algorithm built into it. Once you're happy with, um, you know, with what you're getting in terms of synchronization, the next step is to do uh, the background correction. And again, because 
um, you have access to uh, a plethora of parameters. It's usually easier just to run the automated procedure. But if you don't want to do that, if you really control, if you want to control each and indiv each individual uh, step, you can do that. So when you're doing, when you're fitting the background model, so to speak, you can do that either looking at the, uh, the total mesh channel or each individual uh, channels separately. And you can save the fitting details either um, as a CSV file or just copy them on the clipboard because that's that's actually quite important for some people and for some labs. And you can also modify the regions um, uh, at which HDIP looks at for uh, you know, establishing the blank. So it, it allows you to run quite a few things um, manually, so to speak, and finally control all these parameters. Now, when you're okay with that, when the operator is okay with that, the final step is the actual reconstruction of the image. Now, I want to make a really important point here, and this is one of the features that um, stands out in HTIP, is that, well, most of the data reduction software that do have this ability to generate, you know, images or work with image data, um, they use fairly simple algorithms for generating an image or for reconstructing an image. And that is, you know, the general consensus is that, well, you know, the first pixel of each line is a line either on the left or on the right side, depending on the direction of scan. And then it's assumed that the velocity of the stages is constant, right? So it means that each pixels will be uh, evenly distributed throughout the line, basically in terms of speed. Now, there are multiple issues with this approach and with this assumption. And the most important is that the stages, and it doesn't really matter how, you know, if they're high resolution or, you know, really, really, you know, fine uh, return accuracy and so on and so forth. Each individual stage will have an acceleration and deceleration curve. And if you don't take, take that into account, then you might have some issues with the quality of the data when you're reconstructing the images. Now, HJP comes with five different algorithms to reconstruct the image and all those algorithms take into account and try to um, mathematically compensate for this um, acceleration and deceleration curve and this is actually very very important and it's an important point to make so we're happy with the data we're happy with the selection and that's pretty much it. That's how you generate an image. And it actually takes less time to generate an image than it took me to explain how to do it. Uh, and it's even faster when you're doing it um, automatically, so using the autopilot feature. Once you've generated the image, and in this particular case, we're looking at the gran uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a garnet. Um, <clears throat> we only measured uh, or we only monitored a handful of elements. And once the image is generated, you can scroll through these elements or masses rather or channels um, and select the ones that you want to visualize. Once you're happy with that, you can then you have access to um, a number of um, options to um, improve the quality of the image, you know, change the scale, change the color scheme, uh, work with the transparency and so on and so forth, use inverted colors. Um, so it does allow you, once you've generated the image, to do quite a bit of work to improve the quality of the image. Um, 
and this is this is actually quite important because it does that without uh, you know fiddling or massaging with the numbers afterwards which is very very important especially for quality control labs and so on and so forth um, once you're happy with how um, um, the image looks like you know you're happy with um, uh, you know the contrast and so on and so forth the next step would be to um, run the standard so you know fully calibrate the, the sample if, if you want um, and because we analyzed um, uh, one NIST glass it's usually I mean single point calibration curves are not you know the best in the world but you know for the purpose of this uh, webinar I'll just show you how to use it or, or how to use the, the external calibration procedure to fully um, uh, calibrate the samples. So what goes, uh, the video on the screen now shows you how the calibration curve is created and, you know, for each individual sample, I'm sorry, for each individual channel, once you're happy with the, uh, with the curve, you can just apply the calibration and then you're done. When you're applying the calibration, um, or before applying the calibration, rather, you can save um, the reference set for, for uh, later use. You can go back to it, and you can um, you can open it and, and and then see the results and export the numbers and, and so on. So once you've created and exported or saved rather the the calibration data, then it's just a matter of choosing which data set you want to calibrate. Uh, and then just perform the calibration. And once you're done, once you click on perform calibration and the calibration was successful, you get this uh, successful uh, calibration message and then you're done and you're ready. Um, uh, you're ready for the next step basically, which is um, working with the data sets or the images that you've created. And for that, I've selected um, a data set that was um, generated using a time-of-flight instrument. It's still a it's, it's still a, um, um, a rock sample. This is from uh, it comes from a Boninite. Um, the sample was kindly provided by Jeff Ryan, Dr. Jeff Ryan, and from University of South Florida, and John Chavez from Utah State. Uh, but like I said in, in the beginning, the procedure is exactly the same for uh, biological samples as well. So in this particular case, um, we've measured or we've analyzed the sample using a time-of-flight instrument from, uh, from TOFEP. And if you have one of these instruments in the lab, a time-of-flight instrument, it doesn't really matter if it's uh, a TOFEP uh, or a new instrument we test. HTAP comes with a built-in data processor that can handle both data formats. Uh, and it can process those, those, those files. So in order to do that, you just select the type of data that you want to import. In our case, it was, um, um, it was a TOFERC or ICP TOF uh, uh, image file. Import it, select the algorithm that you want to use to convert the data, and you're good to go. The, you know, the software HAP will convert the image in the background and in the end you'll have um, completely or fully compatible H5 file that will work in HAP. So once you've imported the data you're good to go. So what I'm going to show you in the next couple of minutes is 
how to visualize the data. So scroll, jump between different elements or channels, so to speak. I'll show you how to generate transects through the images that you've just <clears throat> created, excuse me. Extract that data. Also visualize and extract regions of interest, which is really important feature, especially for geologists, but not only for geologists. And also run some basic math operations with the channels, uh, create some composite images, and of course, export your data. Now, because the data set um, was acquired using the time of flight, you have access to a huge amount of data. So this particular data set is about, I think, two gigabytes. So you have a lot of data that comes with it. So when you're scrolling or when you're changing from one element to another, you have a number of ways or visualizing the data rather, you have a number of ways of doing that. Either the scroll, uh, the drop-down menu that you've seen, or you have this, this option of having a periodic table uh, uh, available and all the elements that you've analyzed are highlighted. And when you click on one of those elements, and if you have multiple isotopes of that particular element analyzed, they're listed on the right-hand side of the panel, which is quite useful to have, especially when you work with large data sets like time of flights data. We also have this um, spatial overview of the data feature, which allows you to visualize like thumbnail uh, style, all the images that you've generated within the data set and you can scroll through them, you can zoom in, you can zoom out, and so on and so forth. Okay, so this looks pretty straightforward. Um, so once you're happy with how your data looks like, uh, the next step would be, you know, just run, run some basic, um, or show you how to run some basic uh, uh, procedures using HDIP. And the first one would be how to generate and extract a path. So transect basically through your data. And it's straightforward to do. You literally just draw a line on your image of interest. And then once you, you, you're doing that, HTAP will automatically extract that data and plot it for you. So in this case, we're looking at iron 56, I think, right? And you can see the ground mass is pretty monotonous. There's not much in it, but once you jump over that particular grain boundary, you have that spike in, in signal. Now, initially, the width of the, the path, so to speak, is one pixel, but you can easily change that. You, you, can, just, you, can, you can just click on the middle of it and just uh, scroll up and down and it changes the resolution. And you can also change uh, the endpoints of your line. So right now, you see that the, the path goes from one grain to another. You see that uh, uh, you know, two large peaks are the grain boundaries and then not a lot of signal for the ground mass. And you can also overlay multiple uh, uh, channels basically. So right now we're looking at uh, iron, which is red and then magnesium kind of green. And I think aluminum uh, kind of brownish in color. And when you're happy with you know, the selection of, 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 of channels, you can save the data. You can either save it as, a, as an image, like a PNG, <clears throat> excuse me, or as a CSV file. And you can work with it afterwards in, in Excel or your choice of, um, uh, of software. The next thing would be to show you how to extract and visualize a regions of interest. 
it's pretty straightforward to do it. Um, initially, or the easiest, um, uh, the easiest tool for that is the fault tool. So once you've uh, enabled this tool and the flood uh, tool is selected, you just click on a pixel and then the algorithm will look at all the adjacent picture, uh, I'm sorry, pixels and cluster them together. And of course you can change the flood tolerance so you can play with that a little bit as well. And every time you select or generate a region of interest, you can save it. Um, and you can save it and work with it afterwards. You have a number of tools available, <clears throat> excuse me, for saving or generating rather uh, regions of interest, either draw, drawing um, uh, squares, ellipses, you know, freehand drawing of polygons and, and so on and so forth. And once you're happy with the area that you've selected, you can save it, you can rename it and so on and so forth. It does have a number of other automated um, um, tools available for the region of interest. And I'll show you in a couple of seconds uh, how to do that. But you can see it's actually pretty powerful in picking up uh, regions of interest. So in this particular case, just looking at Iron uh, 50 think, uh, 56, I think it was, you can see all these, um, uh, uh, or the zonation, the rim, the high constant, the high intensity rim, it picked it up really, really nicely. Like I said, you can rename it and save those afterwards, uh, either as CSV files or within the H5 project file. A really neat feature of the, um, of the region of interest tool is that it allows you to uh, cluster the data based on a couple of algorithms. So um, if you're assuming that you have, let's say, probably in this particular case, I was assuming five main clusters or five main groups of concentrations or intensities, you can do that and you can just generate the clusters or it can generate the clusters in the background based on, on the information it received from you. And, and as you can see, it's actually really powerful and um, it can do a lot of things and the accuracy, the accuracy with, with which it picks up regions of interest and zonations is, is outstanding. Another option for the region of interest tool is um, to run your own uh, um, uh, filter basically based on, on logical operators. So if you know that one of your region or one of your mineral grains or a, a slice of your tissue has, you know, uh, let's say more than 5 ppm aluminum and less than 10 ppm magnesium, you can manually input that and it will look at all the pixels and group together all those pixels that fit that criteria. Okay, so the next step would be in this particular case or in this for this um, presentation would be to show you how to do some basic signal processing procedures uh, and to how to do um, or how to work with channels, how to calculate ratios, sums and so on and so forth. Actually, the, the, algorithms behind, the algorithm behind it, it's really powerful. So if you're familiar with the syntax, you can do pretty powerful stuff. But for this, we're just doing um, a simple ratio of two channels. And um, HTIP allows you to automate some of these things. So you can save a, a set of operations and then load it afterwards. And it's exactly what I've done here. So I saved 
uh, a number of, of those operations and then I've loaded those or opened those operation sets. And right now we're, we're going to look at uh, uh, how the ratio to of uh, nickel to chromium looks like for this particular uh, sample. So once you're, um, you, you're, you're, you're all set with describing the operation, uh, you can click on apply on or, or, or on okay and it will generate a new layer so to speak for your image and then you'll need to scroll down to the very bottom of your drop down menu and <clears throat> here you are this is how your nickel to chromium ratio looks like um, uh, for this for this sample and like i said it can do a lot of powerful stuff if you're familiar or when you become familiar with the syntax for the math operation And of course, when you've created such a layer, a ratio or a sum or a multiplication, you, you still have that option of using all the other tools. You can change the scale, you can change the color scheme, uh, you can generate regions of interest and so on and so forth. And the last feature that I'm gonna show you is how to generate composite images. So basically how to plot multiple channels on top of each other. So right now we're looking at sodium, titanium and I think it's lead, right. So it allows you to overlay a number of channels to create composite images, which in the end, beside the fact that they can look stunning, you know, from an aesthetics point of view, they can, um, they, they do have, they do offer a lot of information packed into one, one single image. And the very last thing is to generate the image itself or to save it rather. And when you do that, you can save it as a either as a like a PNG file uh, for publications. You can save it as a raw file. You can save it um, as a, C, a CSV and so on and, and and so forth. So, in a nutshell, this is basically how to use HDIP for imaging processing. You know, and start from scratch. You know, get the uh, the single pulse response and see how fast your um, uh, your um, your um, uh, your hardware is, and then based on that model, the optimized parameters for imaging, use those parameters to run the experiment, save the data, generate the images, process the images, work with them a little bit, and then uh, you know, save the um, the final product, so to speak, which is the image uh, in itself. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of um, showing you the capabilities and talking about the applications uh, for this webinar. Now, keep in mind that HAP is a pretty complex piece of software and there's no time in half an hour or 45 minutes to go through all the features. However, if you want more information, we have a website dedicated to HDIP and there's also uh, the user forum, which is growing exponentially and where you can ask questions, um, get support and so on and so forth. So you're more than, than welcome um, to visit our website and uh, get uh, more complete documentation and see how the features look like and you know what the benefits of using HDIP um, are. And with that, I thank you uh, for your attention. And if you have any question, I'll be more than, um, than happy to reply. And if you have any questions regarding the previous um, 
webinars, uh, the one hosted by Lucas, by Damon. Uh, you're more than, more than welcome to email us directly and we'll um, try and make sure and reply to your questions as soon as I can. And with that, again, thank you uh, so much. And we are open for questions. Just one second. Uh, oh, there's quite a few of them. Now, unfortunately, I don't think we'll have enough time to run through all of them. So I'll pick a handful of them, try and reply them as quickly as I can. And then um, I'll try and, 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 and send you a more detailed reply personally via email. Okay, so, uh, right. Um, can HJP handle single spot analysis like bulk analysis, trace elemental data, and so on and so forth? Um, that is a very good question. And um, yes, it can. It actually has a dedicated module for doing bulk analysis. Unfortunately, there's not enough time now um, uh, to do that, but it can. So it can do bulk analysis. It can do major, minor trace uh, elemental uh, concentration of work. Um, it also has an, um, at this point, limited um, amount of isotope ratio data reduction schemes built into it, but we're working on that uh, and, and uh, um, uh, we're, we're getting better and better with each release. So yeah, in a nutshell, HTIP can do bulk analysis, not only, or single spot analysis, not only imaging. Um, the next question. Will HDIP work with Teledyne with CTAC lasers only? Uh, yes, for the time being, yes. So the algorithms, especially the spatial reconstruction algorithms, are uh, designed and constructed around the laser log file uh, generated by uh, the CTAC or photon machine lasers. Now, unfortunately, for the moment, um, we're focusing on that um, and just because we're trying to polish all the rough edges in generating images and to make it um, or make the process rather as smooth as possible with only we're only working with uh, with log files from uh, from our laser so for the time being HJP will only work with data from uh, Teledyne or CTAC uh, lasers. All right. Um, Another question, what is the relationship between HDIP and chromium? Can HDIP be used with other laser systems other than Iridia? Yes. Um, so the short question is yes, HDIP can be used with uh, all the laser ablation systems manufactured by CTAC or photon machines. So I'm talking about uh, 213 lasers, XML lasers, the entire range, so Excite, Excite Plus, uh, HE, and Iridia as well. It can also work with uh, Femto uh, data, so data generated by, um, by the, the Ferrous system. So basically, everything, all the platforms, all the lasers within CTAX portfolio that use Chromium as an operating software and can do laser ablation, that data output can be imported and you can work with it in um, uh, in HDIP. 
Another question, um, uh, do you know how long the data for the Bonanite map took to collect? That's a very good question. I was actually, so before the, the webinar, I looked, um, I was trying to find the original data, the raw files, but I couldn't find them. So um, I cannot give you, uh, you know, an 100% accurate answer, but I'm assuming in between, I want to say one and a half and two hours, something, something like that. Um, and it looks like the questions keep coming in. So we have, in, we have time for one one additional question. And like I said, uh, for all the other questions that um, that were asked, I'll try and uh, will try rather to reply as soon as possible. Um, hold on, where was that question? I think I just minimized the window, so bear with me for a second. Right, there we go. So um, what about the use of internal standards in quantification? Yes, so you can, that, that's actually a very good question, and that kind of applies to the, to, the same, to the first question that was asked as well. So there are several ways of doing standards or calibration in HDIP, including internal standards, including using internal standards. And that works for set for maps, and that works for single spot analysis. Now, there was not enough time to go through how to do that uh, during today's webinar, but HTIP's documentation, which hopefully is available on our website, um, gives you a pretty detailed description on how both the external and internal calibration work. But you know, to answer shortly to that question, yes, you can you can use internal standards as well as external standards for calibrating your samples in uh, or using HDIP. And with that, um, I want to thank everyone again for attending uh, our webinar series. Um, I want to thank you for all the questions um, that you've asked, and by the looks of it, they're still pouring in. Um, and if you have any other questions regarding uh, Lucas's or Damon's uh, webinar, please get in touch with us. You have the email addresses um, in front of you um, uh, on the slide, uh, and we'll be in touch. So thank you, everyone, again, and have a good day. Bye.